When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Luis Miguel Echegaray. Welcome to Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall, my lovely co-host, is away for a well-earned break. And we welcome in Kay Murray via phone. Kay, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, it's so good to be with you, Luis. Kay, I'm so excited. Everybody knows about your work, about how amazing you are, and I'm so excited that you're my co-host. So today, I want you to go all out for us. Kay, uh, how you been, by the way? How you been, by the way? Really good, thank you. I am currently 32 weeks pregnant. Oh, my God. So I have, yeah, a little baby on the way in the new year, and it feels like I've got the karate kid living inside of me. But um, yeah, <laughs> so apart from that, which is great, and obviously I'm delighted about, I'm doing well. I'm so happy with the way things are going with all the leagues at the moment. There's so many good storylines. Obviously, I know we're going to get into a lot of them. The Champions League draw as well has given us an idea of what a Super League might look like. There's just so much to discuss, and I'm so happy to be doing it with you I know. I am so excited. For those of you that don't know, Kay and I are actually uh, good friends outside of, of uh, the soccer world. Uh, we're all uh, close and we have a lot of fun together. And as soon as, uh, I mean, we're all so excited for, for your expected arrival. And I hope that you call, call if it's a boy, maybe Julio Giordio. Kay, what do you think? <laughs> It is a boy, but I don't know about Julio Giordio, although we'll see his accent. So for any of the listeners who have no idea who Julio Giordio is, Luis and I both grew up in, in England, so we used to watch a show called The Fast Show, and I think it was taking the mickey out of, that's a really British term, isn't it, taking the mickey? I love it. I think it was, it was making fun of Tino Asprilla, basically. A Colombian player who'd gone to play in Newcastle and the more you spoke to them in post-match press conferences or the mix zone, you would hear the Geordie accent coming through when they spoke English. Which is the that's local pretty, Newcastle slang. When you call it Geordie, it's a local Newcastle slang. Go on, Kay, keep going. It is. And so obviously I'm from up that way myself. I'm from Middlesbrough, which is very close to Newcastle. So it's not too hard an accent for me to do. And I've actually decided to do a little demo for the listeners uh, in the style that it used to be done on the fast show, the comedy show, <laughs> where they had the character Julio Giordio. So you ready? Let's do it. This is after the Burnley-Newcastle game at the weekend. Julio Giordio, tough game against Burnley. What are your takeaways from it? <laughs> bueno, la cosa más importante es seguir adelante. It was kind of like that. Although the funny thing was, was the comedian who did it didn't actually speak Spanish, I don't think. Correct. He just did an, an, an Paul White's house, it was. He just did an amazing job 
of pretending to speak Spanish and it sounded like it was Spanish. That was my favorite thing in the world. And Kay is 100% correct that we loved it. Um, this is the one thing that, so when we all get together, our, uh, you know, our spouses are, what are you all talking about? And all we want to <laughs> talk about is Julio Giorgio. The best scene uh, was when, when they, okay, let, let's do it for the listeners, all right? This is the one okay. where Julio Giorgio is being interviewed by the reporter at the game and, um, it, it's uh, the Spice Girls one. Ready? Here we go. So you're the, you're, you'll be Harry Enfield. Okay. Hello, Giorgio. How are things going with you here in England? How's your adaptation been? So para que se le que se puso ahí, se le puso cada porta, se le queda la porta que se le a couple of years ago, man. And then, and then it's like... And, and, okay, so... And Julio, how have you found said they said to us you, you guys can sit in the back of the car and just like the naughty kids <laughs> they had no idea yeah, uh, sure too good done, but at least we've given them something of an idea now absolutely so this is uh, an homage it was an homage to julio Giorgio, paul whitehouse harry enfield the first show and of course harry enfield and friends are oh, the good old days all right okay let's get straight to it uh because that's what the listeners are here for and we're gonna begin just like Kay said there's a lot to talk about champions league draw that just came out monday morning a few hours after this recording uh, a lot that went on in Europe of course no wins for anyone in the top four in La Liga this weekend uh, we're going to do an El Clasico preview from this Wednesday we're also going to talk about the Club World Cup a little bit as uh, Flamengo plays Al Hilal and Liverpool plays Monterrey and you know anything else that we want to look forward to the future but we we begin with the Premier League uh, the biggest talking point obviously is still Liverpool surging winning two nothing against Watford it's now a 10 point gap as Leicester tied with Norwich K what did you make of it well yeah the thing with Liverpool right now is that ability to get out of jail in those tough situations and I know it's the age-old cliche of saying that this is the sign of a title winning side but it is and obviously Klopp's been the big difference here and he knows this team so well now and his character is just shown on the pitch throughout all these players, the mentality that they've got to get through these games. And we hear so much about the forwards, obviously we do, but those fullbacks as well are just as crucial to this side. Yeah. And it's just been so great to watch them and to see what they're doing. Um, they're just so difficult to play against. And as I say, even when they're not on their best day, they seem to be coming through these games now. But you know what, Louise? So many people say... Um, and I think it's divided here. So many people still say there could, and I know it's a big points gap, but that there could still be a slump and that it's not beyond Liverpool for that to happen. But do you really buy into that? Do you really think that that could happen to them? I think the biggest difference between last season and this season is what you just said, which is depth. I think that last season, one of the reasons why Liverpool began to lose uh, perhaps uh, performance-wise, focus-wise in that January-February stage and Man City caught up eventually was there wasn't enough 
uh, depth in terms of just delivering. And this year, I'm not seeing that. I mean, you know, even when Mohamed Salah was the man to talk about last season, but he is not the man to talk about this season for Liverpool for me. Of course, he's one major factor, but look at Sadio Mane, look at Roberto Firmino, Divo Corrigi can now come on on the field and score tremendous goals. Jordan Henderson is playing well. Now Shakiri can add a lot of talent. And like you said, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andrew Robertson are providing something that we haven't seen in a long time, maybe ever, and that's like the dynamic fullback that doesn't only defend well, but it provides so many assists. And when you have that combination of now sort of Liverpool knowing what they did wrong last season, I just it's very difficult for me to think that anybody else is going to be able to catch up to them. I will say this, though. This next few weeks are vital because now they're doing a lot of traveling. They're going to Qatar for the Club World Cup. They have to do a, a young squad in the Carabao Cup to face Aston Villa midweek. Uh, you know, so the matches are going to bundle up, and and that to me is going to be key. So key injuries uh, are, are going to be a factor, and also you know when the Champions League eventually returns uh, against Atletico Madrid in the last 16. But to me, the biggest difference is that this is now a deep squad, a squad that knows what they did wrong last season and hopefully not going to replicate it. Yeah, and that, and even that in itself, it's obviously, it's so long and arduous to get so close to winning the league and to do everything they did and just fall short because they had a team like Manchester City that they had to push all away. Any other team on any other year would have won the league the last year uh, with the stats that Liverpool had. But it's that mentality, again, to go to come and fight through it. And yeah. to know that you have to go again and to know that you have to have that length of that season. But that Champions League win really must have helped them and boosted them. And there's no way for me that they're going to let this slip now. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Champions League win was a big was a big mountain climb for sure. Let's talk about Man City, that you know, huge win against Arsenal. Um, it was, to me, it was a, an example of, of how both sides are playing right now. Arsenal was showing signs of talent, but again, so vulnerable on the counter. Man City just destroying you. And of course, this was the Kevin De Bruyne show. What did you think, eh? Well, it was absolutely the Kevin De Bruyne show, wasn't it? And that's probably what I want to speak about because City have been quite unpredictable this season. And you know, man for man, you'd say, and everything that Pep Guardiola's done for them, it's arguably one of the best teams at the Premier League, if not the best team that the Premier League's ever seen. With everything, the patience he's had with them to try and implement his style of play and not just go with what he was expected to do in coming to English football. But for, for Kevin De Bruyne to have a player like that, for many, he's actually the best in the Premier League right now. Definitely one of the best midfielders in the world for me. It's everything he brings, Luis. It's the crosses. It's the delivery, the, the quality of those goals that we saw. He can score. He can create. And I think as time goes by, he will be spoken about as one of the best imports to the Premier League. And best of all is that he has this talent and he can produce like this. And you rarely hear from him off the pitch. You know, so many times there could be a player like this where you have to take what comes with them because they are such a talent. But he must be a coach's dream. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. He's just, he's the complete package. I mean, one of the problems with De Bruyne and reason probably in the last uh, 11 months has been, you know, just staying fit 
for a long periods of time. And now that he's back to fitness, you just see the magic. I mean, listen, Man City's always going to be a dangerous side. I mean, the issue this season obviously has been the defensive problems. And I think Guardiola's and Manchester City's biggest mistake in the summer was not trying to bring in another center back. And you're seeing now players like Fernandinho trying to cover a lot, which, by the way, he deserves a lot of mention. Even though they're, you know, they're so far behind from Liverpool, they've been able to at least maintain some kind of level of consistency especially against Arsenal yesterday. Uh, to me, the Man City issue is again with Liverpool. Like You have to look at their schedule coming up. They have, uh, after the Oxford United League game quarterfinal uh, on Wednesday, they have Leicester City at home. Then they go travel at Wolves, Sheffield United, uh, and an Everton that's trying to survive. So, you know, those are key games uh, coming up for Manchester City. So it's going to see what Pep Guardiola can do to not only maintain a level of health, but also make sure that they get points. Because honestly, it's not mathematically impossible, but any more points dropped and it's over. It has to be, right? Yeah, that's what I honestly think. And I, I don't see where before you've seen other teams drop points. And you've even seen Man City with a great start and then drop points in the Premier League before. There just seems to be something underlying with them that I can't quite put my finger on. And obviously we'll see and we'll talk about it later when it comes to the Champions League because there's been a stark contrast between their domestic form and their European form. In terms of trophies won, obviously there's a few little caveats with that. But um, I just I just can't see anybody catching Liverpool this, this time around. Yeah, and we're, we're going to talk about, obviously, their Champions League uh, you know, opponent in Real Madrid later on, so which will add another dose of interest uh, for Man City fans, but I mean, we have to talk about Leicester City too. You know, they, you know, they, they were looking good. They, you know, Brendan Rodgers was on a ridiculous record-breaking consecutive winning run with Leicester City, and then Norwich comes and, and ties them, and that again is just advantage Liverpool. Um, what have you made of uh, of Leicester City this season so far, and how Brendan Rodgers has has managed the team? I think one of the things that we've learned here is to show that you should never judge a manager too soon because it almost felt as though after a, a great start bursting onto the scene for Brendan Rodgers, that then for some he became a bit of a joke figure that people would make fun of. Yeah. And actually, you know, we're seeing his credentials once again as a manager with this side. Um, and this is a side that we can't forget everything that they managed to do. And the fact that they won the Premier League, you know, it still it still feels crazy to even say it. It's unbelievable. You've still got some key components in that side, but particularly Jamie Vardy, of course. And so that, that winning mentality and knowing that you can beat the best doesn't go away from a team, especially when there's players left over from the team that did that. Yeah, it's it's just unbelievable. Uh, we keep talking over here. What's better, the Leicester City side that won the Premier League or the one that's currently being played under Brendan Rodgers? You can't take away the title win. Of course you can't. But I think technically this is a better side. Just I've heard that argument made as well, not just from you. I've heard people say that. 
I just think that they're, they're, what they did, as you said, is almost unbelievable to still even consider the fact that they won the Premier League, taking in mind the fact that they were dying to stay in the league in November of that season. So there was so much passion and heart, and Claudio Ranieri will always be remembered as a legend for Leicester. But I think this side, from a football perspective, from a soccer perspective, the way that they play overall is it is better uh so it's a real disappointment that they drop points uh th- this weekend and now you look at their schedule they're also in the quarterfinal of the league cup they play everton away but after that man city away they host liverpool and you know those are two huge games uh in terms because you know that brendan Rodgers is no longer happy with a top four he wants to win this yeah, and I think as well, I, I know that it's obviously not great to, to drop the points. And obviously, we keep talking about whether City can, can beat Liverpool to the post, which Leicester's in between the two of them right now. And yeah. they have to be in the conversation, obviously. But, you know, because we look at where Norwich are in the table, second bottom in the Premier League table, that's when, if you were to just look at it on paper, that's when you think, oh, this is a game they should have won. But they're some of the hardest ones. Yeah. When you've had a run like Norwich, they've won like what once in the last 12 Premier League games. They're the toughest ones to come up against sometimes because you know they're fighting to survive. They're not fighting to, to get into the top four or to try and win the league. They're fighting to survive. And sometimes they're the most difficult sides to play. And, you know, if you have to take a loss against a, a, a team like that at a side like that at the time that they're in, let it happen now. Let it happen early. Get it out the way. And then when those big games come that you need to be getting the points in, you know, raise your game again. Absolutely. Uh, just a couple of pointers. Chelsea, there's a slump going on with Chelsea and Frank Lampard. Only one league win in the last five. It's, it's you know, after all the you know, uh, fireworks that were going on once he signed on and developing this young team. Now they're, they, they, they're struggling a little bit. And to me, the other uh, headline to take away from what happened, that we talk so much about Arsenal losing to Manchester City, some, uh, Liverpool's win over Watford, but did you see Tottenham against Wolves? That was a game. What a game. And Jose Mourinho handing Nuno Spiritu Santos' first league loss since September 14th. That's amazing. And Tottenham, you know, coming away with that win. Lucas Moura scoring a ridiculous solo goal to open it all up. But what did you make of it? I loved the goal. And I actually saw that Morris said after the game that the coach spent a lot of time telling the players that they are actually winners. And that you can see they've had that confidence instilled within them. Like, look at Deli Ali since Mourinho's come in. Yeah. And it's funny because Mourinho talked, and he's always got these funny little quips. And he talked about how he'd said to Deli Ali, Is it you or your brother playing? Oh, and I think we're saying Mourinho's brother because this is not the Mourinho we've known in recent years. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell who it is at the moment. This is like old school Mourinho. <laughs> Paolo um, Mourinho. <laughs> it's Paolo Mourinho. Um, he's a results man, isn't he? And this was the type of game that just leads into this excellent story with him coming in at Spurs right now. And he was very respectful as well, as you would imagine, for Nuno, a fellow compatriot after the game. He knows, obviously, all the coaching staff and the team there. Right. But they are also showing Spurs under Mourinho that they can grind out these results too. He's got them playing how... They have the ability to play, how they have that talent and that quality to play. I mean, look at the players that are at his disposal at Spurs. You can understand why he took it. Obviously, he knows he's got to work with the defence and he's been doing that and trying to tighten things up there. But what were we looking at? I think it was about four weeks ago he was appointed 
And now we're about 11 or 12 points away from the top four. And now they're just outside it. And yeah. he faces his old team, Chelsea, next. Amazing. And I think it's a win there, right? And he can take the top four spot off them. I, I absolutely agree. Kate, you read my absolute mind when you talked about Lucas Moda's comments after uh, the game. It was a point that I wanted to bring up and you brought it first because we read each other's minds. But that's literally the, the, every single player at some point when they have been managed by Jose Mourinho, they have said this. He makes you feel like you're the only person in the world. He makes you feel so important, like you can do anything. And obviously, that's not the only ingredient that a manager can give a, a, a player, but that is a quintessential Mourinho trait that he can just offer you this level of confidence and look at this team. And like you said, Deli Ali, Lucas Moda, Son, who I was very worried about once Mourinho came in from a purely from a formation perspective. But, you know, it's still early days. We haven't reached yet the end of 2019 but Mourinho now like you said has them just outside the top four after everything that was going on with Tottenham and that to me is the key he makes he gives confidence when confidence is needed and that and that's a major asset that Tottenham desperately needed yeah and he's I think he's changed I think he's learned a lot because we could go and say oh there's this second season or third season syndrome or that this happens with Mourinho he said himself he's learned some new things you know he's got a new coaching staff underneath him there are things he's learned and I think that that will allow him to evolve even as the coach that he is with the success that he already has but it's great because people so often point at his failures and where he falls short but as you say there's so much to remember I was at Real Madrid TV working there when he came in as coach and Around that time, I was ready to look for a new job and I'd had a brilliant time there, but to see what else was out there for me. And then I heard that Jose Mourinho was coming to coach them and I thought, okay, there's no way I'm leaving now. I'm sticking around to see this. <laughs> and it's, it's often forgotten of what he, what he managed to do. The Real Madrid back then had such an inferiority complex when it came to Barcelona. May I remind you, Pep Guardiola's Barcelona as well. Right. They were scared to face them, and Mourinho gave them that confidence back to be able to take them on again. And there was that horrible Champions League hoodoo that Real Madrid had gone, I think it was something like seven seasons, where they couldn't get past the first knockout round. Yeah. Mourinho comes in, takes them straight to the semis, and you know takes them close to getting to the final. He changed so much there, and he's so good at identifying different plays. So at knowing which ones it was to manage and in which way to manage them, when he has to show tough love and when he has to put an arm around somebody. And he would pick a player out that wasn't the most talented player on the team, but that he knew would give his all for him. So, for instance, it was Alvaro Arbeloa yeah. at Real Madrid. And I remember interviewing Arbeloa and telling him, when I spoke to Jose Mourinho about his team, I asked him to pick one player out for me, and he chose you. <laughs> and he'd say things like, you know, He'll never be a 10, but he's never at a six in a game. Right. He's always somewhere in between, and he'll give everything for this team. So when you're singled out by him, you also feel amazing, like you're saying. You want to give your all to him, and that's what he's managing to do now. I'm just waiting to see the players he's going to have to show tough love soon. We'll yeah. see, because obviously there's some time to go. Nah, that's a great story. And uh, well, it's Paolo Mourinho, right? He's the 2.0. Oh, yeah, Paolo, yeah. Paolo Mourinho. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's spot on. From from Tottenham, 
let's let's finish uh, the Premier League from Tottenham to its North London rival Arsenal. Uh, we talked about the loss against Manchester City. Freddy Lundberg is clearly just going to be interim, I think, at this point. Who who takes that seat? Do you think? Eh? Well, the reports to, today is that very strong that it is going to be Arteta. And there's been all these reports of sightings, that these meetings have been going on. And as much as there was all the jokes at the weekend, that Arteta must have been sat on the bench next to Pep thinking, why would I do this? There's no taking away the emotional value that a team like Arsenal will have to this player. And when you are a young upcoming coach, that you have... You have that challenge that you want to give yourself. So he will look at that. And I can't see, I'm not one of those who say, why would he take it? Because obviously the emotional card will come into play there. Yeah. My problem with Arsenal though, is that they knew that Unai Emery had been under pressure for a long time. And this is still a very big club that surely can attract some big names to it. Yeah. or even at least a name to it that, that can be there. How are they sacking a coach with not having a replacement ready? You know, just across town, as we've just been talking about, Spurs get rid of Pochettino, Mourinho straight in. Even in the Serie A, and it was a strange slot, but Napoli get rid of Ancelotti, the next day Gattuso's in. How has a club like Arsenal not had a replacement lined up and is now going through this? Even Freddie Jungberg himself is saying that Arsenal need to make a decision on the coach when he's speaking after the game, the man that they've got in now as the caretaker. Yeah. Like that to me just makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, it's the clear uh, you know, uh, conversation that we've been having about Arsenal for a long time now because Arsenal's issues are not just on the pitch. It's about the directors, it's about the owner, Stan Kroenke, and the lack of vision that he has for this club. And like you said, you know, the immediate remedy that this club needs has not been provided. Nothing to take away from Freddie Lumber. This is a player, you know, uh, uh, now manager who who are, you know we've known to watch and he, he's been in the system for a while now at Arsenal but there is no vision no clear agenda no clear direct philosophy on how to improve this club who you know uh Arsene Wenger obviously his exit gave a lot of issues because partly because he he was part of the Arsenal institution for so long Trying to replace Arsene Wenger is not just replacing a manager, but it's replacing an ideology. So when he left, you know, what were you going to do? Unai Emery didn't work out for many reasons. He is not blameless, but there are many things that happened against him that didn't help his role. Um, and now we're looking at, you know, like you said, the reported news is that Mikel Arteta... A former player loved by Arsenal fans. He's been an assistant at Man City since 2016. We know about the type of soccer brain that he has. But, you know, can he be, you know, the man in charge? Obviously, there will also be conversations about, just because there has to be about Ancelotti and Patrick Vieira even, you know. But to me, there is so much more that Arsenal needs to do. So when we talk about somebody like Mikel Arteta, I think it's more about, does Mikel Arteta want this? And does he want this right now? Does he wait until the end of the summer uh, and see how it all figures out? Because obviously, you know, the the argument would be that, you know, Arsenal is not 
going to necessarily be relegated or anything like that, but they're not going to do a top four, uh, not in this situation. So does Arteta wait until the summer? Does he wait to see what the plan is, or is there an immediate remedy? Time will tell for sure. Let's move on uh, because we got a lot to talk about. Let's talk about a little Europe a little bit. Uh, Kay, obviously you're an expert, not just in the Premier League, but like you said, you've got such a tremendous experience in Spain, La Liga. Uh, no wins for anyone in the top four. This La Liga, this Liga season is crazy. Uh, partly, partly the argument is, you know, the parity in terms of uh, strength between a mid to lower table team to uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atleti uh, is not that, you know, it's not that big. The gap's not that big. And the other reason is the lack of performances from, from the main players. What do you take of it? Yeah, well, a big part of it as well has been, and it's still not quite as balanced, but once the TV portion uh, the money that they get for their games was shared out more evenly. We did see, start to see more parity in La Liga. And to be honest, if you're watching it closely, there, there always was a lot of competitiveness in the league, especially below the top two. Yeah. But I would always argue that if you put those top two in most of the top five leagues in the world, they'd probably still be top two. Mm. You know, So I, I, don't, I don't think that was taken into account because when you talk about the big teams in the world, you usually bring up their names first, Barcelona and Real Madrid. But going back to the point about what's going on there, it was a strange weekend and every every top four side had its individual case. Uh, for Real Sociedad against Barcelona, well, first of all, Barcelona don't really ever travel well to San Sebastián. They'd won their last two there, I think, in La Liga, but before that, it was not a happy hunting ground for them and we saw that again. The headline there, though, um, for any of the Spanish speakers, was Vargonzoso instead of vergonzoso, shameless, <laughs> shameful, basically. Because of the VAR situation there, so don't worry, VAR's getting talked about everywhere, and not just the Premier League. Um, there was a penalty given against Busquets, and then a very similar situation later, very late on in the game, at the death, against Piquet, was not given. So Barcelona are very upset with that, have made a complaint. Uh, Real Sociedad clapped back on social media and reminded them of diff some different views of pictures and some previous things, and it was all a bit dramatic. But it takes away from, as you were saying, some of the parity in some of the other teams. Real Sociedad this season have been so strong, uh, thanks in no small part to young Martin Odegaard on loan from Real Madrid. And you do wonder just how much longer it will be until he does return to Real Madrid. He's looked so dangerous, and we're seeing the play that we were all told about. Um, he's just so good on the ball. He's got that ability to run at defences and he's really added some dynamism to that midfield. Um, so Barcelona have had their problems even before this. Obviously, a lot of the fan base are against Ernesto Valverde. They feel that they're missing some of the passion, but then they still have the likes of Luis Suarez and Lionel Messi. And even Antoine Griezmann seems to be starting to find his way and his feet right now. Um, yeah, I mean so he scored the. He scored the first goal for Barcelona. I mean, listen, like this game, just feeding off it before we move on. I mean, you know, Real Sociedad, um, you know, had more possession, more shots, uh, even shots on target. But the control was by the home side, and that to me is the the scary part for Barcelona. And even if you lost before. There was still a, a structural dependence on the philosophy, right? And that's not that's not what you're seeing right now. No, not at all. And that's why so many of the fans who've been spoiled, especially 
you know, I'm all for new soccer fans all the time coming in at whatever. If new soccer fans join today and decide to pick Barcelona as their team, great. But a lot of the fans came along with the success under Guardiola. And so they've become accustomed to a style of play that they'd been used to. And they've not been seeing that style under Ernesto Valverde. And they expect to see that style. And so they feel that he's not the right man for the job. And it feels like he can't do any right, basically. And for as long as the Champions League eludes them under him, I think the criticism will continue. And I, I half wonder even if he did win it if they'd still be happy to see him go and a coach that they feel more fits the philosophy to come in, they'd be happy to see that. As for Real Madrid, though, they seem to just be finding their own feet right now, even though they've been hit by some injuries, which have not come at a good time for them. They were away to Valencia. It is never a given to be able to go to Mestalla. The Valencia fans hate Real Madrid. And obviously, it's a difficult place to go. It, it's a very demanding fan base against even their own side, which Real Madrid know all about at the Bernabeu. But at Mestalla, that fan base will still get behind their side 100%, as we saw in this game. As I said, players missing. It's been sandwiched between Champions League game and that forthcoming Clasico, which meant Casemiro, who has been Zidane's little marshal on the pitch, had to be rested because he's got the card accumulation. He had to avoid that fifth yellow so he couldn't risk that. I think he's played pretty much every game until now. Yep. And I think Valencia had only lost once in 2019 in league play at Mestalla. So a point wasn't such a bad thing, especially the way it came at the death with Courtois assisting <laughs> Benzema in the box because of a shot that he had himself. What was it, the 95th minute? The he, 90- did, he, did, he did an absolute Sergio Ramos. <laughs> And now Karim Benzema is uh, joined Pichichi with uh, with Lionel Messi. I mean, the the reliance on him it can't be ignored. Listen, like the thing about um, let, let's talk about the classical. That's on Wednesday. So now we've talked All about right. both teams, their joint points. We obviously know the historical marketing, just purely football. Uh, importance of this match it's going to be huge obviously there were so many things back and forth in terms of when this game was going to be played La Liga wanted it one time one day Barcelona Real Madrid wanted another eventually it's going to be on Wednesday uh, both teams now are joint points in, in the league so it's it's huge from a standings perspective and aside from just the rivalry in itself what do you make of it how do you see it I never am too confident in recent years of Real Madrid going to the camp now to try and get something regardless of what form either side are in. Although Real Madrid right now are in this real fighting spirit. Um, But regardless of who the coach is when it comes to Barcelona, and it's the same with the Real Madrid players, nobody wants to lose El Clasico ever, not least in front of your home fans. So I just think that it's a hard one to call for me, as it always is. Obviously, Hazard, even if he hasn't set the world on fire yet with Real Madrid, he is always going to be a big miss in a game like this. A player who can draw just the attention that even he does and cause the problems he does. And it's going to be interesting to see who Zidane decides to go with because there's been reports that Bale may not start. Obviously, he's had a few injury issues, but we saw him at the weekend. And there's an argument to be made that he hasn't played enough to get the start. But then do you really leave Gareth Bale out? Rodrigo's obviously been doing so well under Zidane. Zidane loves him. He says he learns very well. When he tells him something, he picks it up and he always just gets what he's telling him. 
And Karim Benzema is in fine form. And then obviously I just mentioned Casemiro, who's so crucial when you've got a player like that with young Fede Valverde, who really is doing so well this season. There's so much talent there. But then you just wonder a little bit about Real Madrid's defence against yeah. the likes of Luis Suarez and Lionel Messi, who give them one chance, they'll take it. And unless they hit the post, which poor Messi often does, yeah. I feel like the, the woodwork's got it in for him, um, they'll generally not not miss their chance. So I, it's just always a hard one to call for me. What do you think? I think there are three factors in this game. I think the first one is the, the first one that you brought up, which is um, how Real Madrid is going to line up their front three. I think clearly... Benzema will lead the top with Isco on one side. I think I think that just the fact that Rodrigo started this weekend ahead of Gareth Bell, to me, points that Bell will start, but we don't know. But and then on the other side, it's clear, you know, almost clear, I guess, what your front line is going to be with Barcelona. The biggest um, weapons that both teams have are actually each other's Achilles' heel, which is their midfield. It's an, uh, you know. Uh, Busquets is, is 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 a legend in his own right. Interviewed him earlier this year. You know, just what he can provide is amazing. On the other side, obviously, we know about Luka Modric. Tony Cruz is getting better, um, but it, they're both very vulnerable to the counter in le- in recent months, and I think that's going to be the key. Um, I think resting Casemiro was very important because he's so important, as you said, to start in every game, basically. Such an anchor for Real Madrid. And obviously, the other point, the last point, is home advantage is always important. So, you know, Camp now is going to be such a fortress for Barcelona. But I don't know, when you're looking at momentum and the way that teams are, both teams are playing right now, there seem, like you said, there seems to be a fire with Madrid right now, something that Sedan wants to rectify now. And the difference is now, if Bale, Benzema, Isco start up top and it doesn't work, he now has options. I don't think... Yeah, he does, he does. You're, you're right. And I just... And, and going back to what you said as well, as you mentioned, Benzema and Messi and their stats right now, what credit to those veterans, already veterans of La Liga, both of them, yeah. Uh, obviously, Messi, we all know his quality and he's adored even like it transcends colours a lot of the time because of the player that he is. But Karim Benzema for so many years, so criminally underrated, but still remains so committed and so strong. And for me, it's been a lazy misconception that he's, oh, um, he was kept in Ronaldo's shadow. I don't think he was kept in Ronaldo's shadow. It wasn't like... Ronaldo was pushing him back. They were an amazing partnership. Absolutely. Karim Benzema is so selfless that he gives what he can to his team. He doesn't mind if it's him scoring or not. As long as those goals come in, he said that before. So, yes, of course he'll step out of the shadows that they're saying in a way because those goals that Ronaldo was putting away for Real Madrid have to come from somewhere. But let's not forget, those goals were actually coming many of the time for Ronaldo because of Karim Benzema. Yep. And Karim Benzema was totally happy with that role. I just feel like some of the narrative has been that he was pushed to the sidelines and now he gets to really get the sun on his face because Ronaldo is gone. But Karim Benzema was happy enough Absolutely. That role for he would play on the left hand side many a times to allow Ronaldo to get more central. I, re- I interviewed Benzema this summer, and every single question about him and his, you know, goal tally and what his targets were, everything just came back to the team. It was, it was kind of amazing. It, like, and you could, it was very uh, genuine 
that he just wanted to, you know, say, whatever I can do to help this team, whatever I can do to help this team. Obviously, there's a lot. When you're a striker, you're selfish no matter what. You want to score those goals. But Benzema is such a versatile player. Like you said, it's often disregarded because he's such a good number nine. Um, let's move on. Um, I want to quickly get your thoughts, just very quick. What, what do you think about Ancelotti? What, what, what's going to happen with him? Well, I've seen um, Fabrizio Romano, the transfer whisperer, one of them, on Twitter, actually say that Everton have contacted Ancelotti and he'll decide whether or not he'll accept. I, I don't see it. And I'm half wondering if he's holding out to see if someone like an Arsenal would come in for him. Yeah. Because, you know, when, for me, I don't know what it's like for you, Luis, you do usually associate Ancelotti with the bigger teams, with, with no disrespect to Everton but they're historically the bigger teams and the teams that actually have the players that he's just ready to like galvanize. And if we talk about transfer whisperers and the, the guy who's putting this one out there, it's like Ancelotti knows how to speak to those big name players and get the best out of them. So I don't know if that would be the right fit for him. Yeah, I don't. I, I, listen, what, one of his strengths is, is one of his biggest criticisms that as, uh, uh, n not including his very early stages even before Parma, he's always managed big teams. He's always managed big names. That's why he's one of three managers who has won the Champions League three times. So him going to Everton seems very strange. Obviously, Everton has approached him. I mean, I'll try and approach him to come to Planet Football. It's whether he like says, yeah, I'll like to do it. I think I'm with you. I think he's waiting. He's weighing the chips. There, I Come on, Arsenal definitely has reached out to him. They have to. It's Carlo Ancelotti. It's it's more now about you know assessing who the best manager for the job is. For Ancelotti, he's going to be patient, maybe I think, and assess what he wants. Um, you know, he's always been a manager that whenever he's left a previous post, he's wanted to take his time to assess what his options are. Um, all right, let's talk about the big one. What happened this morning as we speak? The Champions League draw, the last 16, it is just, I mean, there's match after match after match. It's going to be so good. Um, I'm calling it, Kay, the, the welcome back last 16. There are so many sort of people, managers, players, teams returning to something they know very well. Thomas Tuchel, who used to manage Dortmund, now PSG returns to Dortmund. Frank Lampard, when he won the Champions League with Chelsea, uh, against Bayern Munich, he was captain. He's going to face Bayern now. Pep Guardiola returning to Spain, facing an old foe in Real Madrid. There are just so many. Liverpool returning to Wanda Metropolitana, which is where they won the Champions League last season. So many big games. I'll quickly talk about the matches. You have Atletico Madrid against Liverpool, Dortmund against PSG, Atalanta against Valencia, Tottenham against Leipzig, Chelsea against Bayern Munich, Napoli against Barcelona, Lyon against Juventus, Real Madrid against Manchester City. What what do you make of all these? So I can pick a winner for me in every one bar one. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. Atletico Madrid, Liverpool. Atletico Madrid, Liverpool. I'm going for Liverpool. Even though I think Atletico will be a pain in the backside to play against, they are going through something of a transitional phase. They're struggling to score. And with Liverpool in the form they're in, I just think that this is Liverpool's. Yep, I'm with you on that one. Dortmund, PSG. For PSG, I have to win this one. I think that they just need that leap forward in European competition. You've got Mbappe, Neymar, Cavani, if he sticks around, uh, Icardi scoring for them, Di Maria, 
think it's starting to come into place, and I think they're a match for any side they meet. I think they'll win this one. Yep, I'm with you too. Jaden Sancho is not enough against this ridiculous machine that is PSG. <laughs> Atalanta, Valencia. Okay, this is quite a hard one, and obviously I follow Serie A very closely too. Um, both teams will play without fear. Both teams have got excellent fans. Um, but I am going for Atalanta just because I feel that they've been able to spring surprises in domestic play and in this, the way they were able to come back after losing their first three games in the groups to then go on to qualify. I think they can do it. Yep, I'm going with Atalanta too. I'm going with my Colombian partnership of Zapata and Muriel. I love those guys. I see Atalanta winning this one. Tottenham, Leipzig. Okay, on this one, I will never bet against Jose Mourinho in knockout <laughs> Paolo Mourinho. <laughs> Paolo Mourinho. This is Paolo Mourinho in European competition against Leipzig. Listen, all respect uh, to Leipzig for, for getting to this point here. And this is not to take anything away from them. But with the pedigree that, that Paolo Mourinho has in the Champions League, I just think that... Um, Obviously, Spurs have been to the final as well. So this is a competition they know now. They know how to manoeuvre it and go for Mourinho and Spurs. Yeah, listen, I mean, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Julian Nagelsmann, the Leipzig manager, uh, Leipzig, top of Bundesliga right now. Uh, they're doing so well. Um, obviously, we have to talk about Timo Werner, who you know, Werner, who is just such a good, ma- has such a good player. But you cannot bet against Tottenham and Jose Mourinho. I'm going there too. Chelsea, Bayern Munich. Let's see if we agree on this one. I'm going for Bayern here, just because I know that it's not been as great a season for them so far in the Bundesliga. But if you look at the Champions League, it's a completely different story. They've just had the best group stage of any side. They've got the quality of play. He'll come in with a game plan. Everything seems to be going right for them at the moment, to the point they're even looking at flick sticking around with them. And I just think 18.6 games, Lewandowski in the form that he's in. And obviously, there's a few scores to settle here after that Chelsea game in 2012. This is so hard for me, this one. I was going back and forth, but I'm going with Bayern Munich. I mean, you have so many stars here. You have Pulisic against Alfonso Davies. You have Tammy Abraham. But come on, Robert Lewandowski is just going to eat this team up. I don't. I just think that... And also Coutinho, by the way, who is finally getting his groove in Germany. What a I, yeah, I, I mean, great goals, great performance. Just adds another dose. I think we can't underestimate the winter break, by the way. Because Bayern Munich is going to be rested and ready to go as Premier League teams always fight through. So if there's a key injury for Chelsea, you don't know. I still see Lewandowski and Bayern Munich going through for sure. All right, Napoli, Barcelona. Okay, so we've agreed on everything so far. And I think we'll probably end up agreeing here as well, Luis. Yeah, I mean, let's... Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Uh, I'll tell you why, because... Well, first of all, I think this could be, if, if Napoli play their best, this could be one of the matches and the, the ties of the round to watch yeah. because of this football that they play. But Gattuso just came in. He lost his first game in charge at home with them. And he said afterwards, and we know this that's been going on. We've seen that training um, mutiny that they had where they were expected to go and stay in a training camp um, under Ancelotti. It wasn't Ancelotti's choice. It was the board wanting the team to do this because they've not been at their best. Napoli, usually the team that are pushing the likes of Juventus. Now it's Inter doing that. Um, and so Gattuso said there's a lot of psychological problems and he knows that he has to deal with that. 
And Natalie recited that they're usually so good at scoring and they're not even managing to do that and win games lately. So with all that in mind, and obviously things can change before February, I just cannot see them getting past a side like Barcelona, who have the Champions League as an obsession for them now after going, by their terms, so long relatively without it. Yeah, I agree. There are two points for me here. One is I think that with Gattuso now in for Napoli, uh, the, the, the psychological advantage goes to Barcelona. I think that you're going to see a Napoli side that's going to go and try and go all out, high press, physical. But that during the game is eventually going to deteriorate and Barcelona is just going to use its advantage. And of course, my second reason, Lionel Messi. When you have Lionel Messi on your team, you know, anything can happen. And also, uh, aside from... Uh, you know, Barcelona's loss to Liverpool last season in such a dramatic way uh, and then losing to Roma the season prior. Barcelona doesn't want to make the same mistake against a Serie A team. I think Barcelona's going to take this one. Let's go to Lyon-Juventus. Okay, I do always have a lot of love for Lyon and I know how good they are at home, but losing Memphis to That's an huge. That's is huge. massive. Yeah. I'm a big Memphis Depay fan. Um, and Juventus showed at the weekend signs that they can play the Saudi style of football that the board put the manager in to do. He played the attacking trident that the fans have all been hoping for, which we're calling Di Gualdo, apparently. <laughs> Dybala, Higuain and Ronaldo. I like it. And it was a brilliant first half from them. And I think that as this progresses, that will start to become even more fruitful, that front three. Obviously, the experience that's in the Juve squad can really help them out. And Cristiano Ronaldo has his eyes on that trophy. So I have to go for Juventus. Yeah, I agree. Especially after Juve losing to Ajax uh, last season. Um, And, you know, Sarri is just such an experienced manager. He's got them playing so well. Like you said, that trio trio, uh, is working so well for them. You know, Juve caught up on Inter this weekend. Ronaldo's, you know, 11 and 19. He became the only player in Europe's top five leagues to hit double figures in all competitions in each of the last 15 seasons. He's like ready. Like you said, his eyes are on that trophy for Juventus. Losing the pie is just too big. It's just too yeah. big for Leon, and I see Juve taking over. And I think we might we might disagree in the last one, but I don't know. Let's see. Real Madrid against Manchester City. Well, remember how I told you at the top there's one I can't call. It's funny that you've left this one till last. I cannot <laughs> call it. I, I, I keep thinking. You have to. And okay. I just cannot call it. Um, Do you want me to go we're first? Sure what City we're going to get. Okay. And they're obviously going to get players back by this time, like Laporte and Leroy Sané, so things could change for them as well. He's definitely got a point to prove in Europe with um, Manchester City, has Pep Guardiola. Zinedine Zidane definitely hasn't. He's won it three times as a coach, one time as a player. Um, I just, it's so hard to call. If I did have to call it, I would go for Real Madrid, but I'm still not certain that that would be the case, even as I look at it. I'm exactly like you. I am so torn because you see vulnerabilities and strengths on both sides. From Real Madrid's perspective, Zinedine Zidane has him on playing with fire. He has the experience. He knows how to win this game. Albeit, it was done with Cristiano Ronaldo in previous years uh, recently. But there is so much talent and depth now. Rodrigo can replace Gareth Bell. Isco is finally back to being Isco. Karim Benzema can penetrate and become such a danger. On the other side, you have Manchester City, who really, this is it for Guardiola. You know, 
the Premier League is fading away from him. He still hasn't won the Champions League with Manchester City. Manchester City, he knows that that's the main reason why he joined this team. It's not just to give a league, but it's also to offer a Champions League title. This is so tough. But I am going with Manchester City. I think it's, it's not a bad call either because they've been unlucky as well, Louise. I know that we're saying they've not done as well in Europe, but they have been unlucky in Champions League competition yeah. with decisions against them too. I just think that here, here's the difference maker. Yes, we can talk about Man City's defensive vulnerabilities, but the most active, aggressive part of the game is done in the midfield and Manchester City wins that battle. They have so much to give. And if Kevin De Bruyne is on, Rodri is providing, you have Bernardo Silva, David Silva, Raheem Sterling. If they're all clicking, I think that this is going to be a win for Man City. But again, I'm torn, but I'm going with Man City. Yeah, I'm still I'm still not decided, but it's good that we could at least find one that we disagree on, or at least half disagree on. Listen, by the way, all this talk about all these Champions League teams, listeners, I just want to remind everybody that I'm a lifelong Aston Villa fan. Uh, Kay is a lifelong local Middlesbrough lass. So, you know, we we have our own issues, right? Middlesbrough is trying to uh, come back uh, to the Premier League. Aston Villa is trying to stay in it. So, you know, we can talk about Champions League all we want, but we know that our hearts are really, you know, in those teams and nobody really pays attention to yeah well we're actually battling to even stay in the championship at the moment now Luis yeah at least you guys are just battling to stay in the Premier League that is true it's tough times alright we'll, we'll just finish up quickly remind you that there's the Club World Cup this uh, week Flamengo plays Al Hilal Al Hilal who has Jovinko by the way and Andre Carrillo the Peruvian and Gomez uh, Gomez who used to play for Swansea of course we know and also Liverpool playing and against and has the best celebration in football oh, the Lion and right celebration, <laughs> yeah. so good and Liverpool playing Monterrey I'd like to see just selfishly Al Hilal against Liverpool so Carrillo can face uh, Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp but I think it's going to be Flamengo Liverpool what do you think well, I think that one of the funny things for me is looking at the coaches because uh, step aside, Jurgen Klopp, we're getting Turko Mohamed, uh, he of sunglasses on the sidelines, <laughs> a childhood friend of Simeone. Um, I think that Monterey, they say they're out to win it, not just to compete. And you were talking about, obviously, Liverpool's packed schedule. I think that Monterey might just be able to do this one. They say they plan to be aggressive against Liverpool. But you know what, Kay, though? to force them into some mistakes. But they have an apertura final, two-legged final to look forward to as well. So it's it's not like uh, Monterey... Yeah, per- perfect for them. <laughs> <laughs> perfect to go into a good way in it. But the other thing I do want to mention is just with Flamengo in the year that they've had... Yeah. All we need to be sure is that Gabby Gol just touches the FIFA Club World Cup before he plays and then it's done. Absolutely. For those listeners that forgot, he touched the Copa Libertadores trophy right as you walk into play. It's a cardinal sin. You don't do that. And what did he do? He scored the winner and Flamengo won. So if he touches the Club World Cup trophy, they might win it. Absolutely. Kay Murray, it's been absolutely amazing to have you. Is there anything, aside from Julio Giorgio, uh baby coming, is there anything that you want to plug or talk about? Uh, for sure. Just just a final uh, exclamation mark on Flamengo as well. The Portuguese coach, Jorge Jesus. He looks like the for those who know nineties films. He looks like the stalker out the bodyguard. <laughs> yes, and, he does. Uh, Kevin Costner. That is so I know it's a nice look alike, but he does look like him. No, I'd love to plug. I'd love to mention that if you are a fan of Italian football or you're looking to know more about it, then alongside ESPN's Matteo Bonetti, every week we do Calcio Cast. You can get it for free every Monday. 
on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can sign up to patreon.com to actually get bonus editions of it by becoming a subscriber. We do at least two editions a week. And then also this week, I will be on La Liga TV, which you might be able to get if you're a La Liga fan. You'll probably see it on a lot of your TV platforms. And I will be doing a Classico look back with my old partner in crime, Kevin Egan. Love it. A show called Viva La Liga. So look out for that on Thursday. Oh, that is so great. That The Coucher podcast is awesome. If listeners don't know, I love Matteo Bonetti so much. By the way, Kay knows how much I love Kay, but you know that Matteo is basically my, my other half and my other partner. Yeah, he's like well. your brother from another mother, right? I love him so much. And Kevin Egan, well, I mean, the, the, an, another Villa brother. So that's so much. La Liga TV, Coucher podcast. Kay Murray, thank you so much for joining us. Um I, and listeners, please make sure that you follow the pod and K on Twitter. Guys, thank you so much. K, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining Planet Football Podcast. We still have a few podcasts to remain in 2019, but our analysis pod will come back in 2020. Bigger, stronger, livelier. Thank you so much. Happy holidays and happy new year. <laughs>